A stu stu Studio D production. <laughs> Don't say anything I he wouldn't Jessica want recorded. Jessica is aware that she's being recorded. Yes. <laughs> you guys dun, think dun, I wasn't dun, doing dun, that on purpose? Dun, 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 That's the note. What note is that? I don't know. I don't know. I just think of, it's a D. I just think it's about it's a D. I was thinking around a D, but turn the turn the piano on and hit a D. Bong, bong, bong. It's um, behind the, the back of the piano on Piano's your side. Here. Do you guys remember that scene in Hot Rod? <laughs> bong, bong. Oh, I don't know if it's hooked up. It's not plugged in anyway. Never mind. Bong. Here. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls It's all really fucked up so don't you be fooled It's F.Dot Family Storytime Hello everyone, welcome to F.Dot Family Storytime I'm Salem and here today we have Belle Hey Kelly Hey And Jess Hello. I wanted Jess to say hey in a different tone because <laughs> isn't it funny how often one of us does something when we're introduced and then we're like, oh, I really wanted you to do what I did. <laughs> like we never plan it, did but I, I really did, wanted Belle to say it? hey, me to say hey, and Jess to say hey. The worst thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life happened to me last weekend. This is not an exaggeration. Oh, I remind you. I <laughs> wished that the earth would have opened and swallowed me whole. So we go to see Spring Awakening, and Ryan's in it. It's the closing night. It's really, really good. We go out for intermission, and I check my phone, and I had forgotten to turn it off in airplane mode, but it was on silent, and my watch was on, like, the theater mode, so it wasn't lighting up, but it was still vibrating, and it was distracting me, and so I hit the button, hit the big button that's supposed to decline the call, and I, I hit the big button, and then... Fucking Hannah's voice is screaming <laughs> through the theater. Hello? Yeah. Hello? And I've tried to hit the decline button. I've yeah. tried so hard to hit the decline button and it's not declining. I can't even turn it off. It's not turning off. So I take my watch off. I shove it between my legs against the seat so that it's like not making any sound. And I am fucking mortified. It's like this big dramatic scene right before one of the characters fucking kills themselves and Hannah's like screaming through the theater, Belle, hello? I am like... <laughs> oh, poor kid. The worst. No. I'm mortified. Oh, I would like to like... apologize to any performer, oh, that, any, that any theater so goer. That's just like the worst. It's been a week and I have had nightmares about it every day. Oh, no. poor Belly. It's not your fault. You tried everything that well, you could. I think it feels worse too to people who have a respect for like they're they're the kind of people who want to be quiet and watch and respect the actors in the process or the other uh, audience members. So People who don't have that are just like, oh what? But when it's when you do have that, you're like, oh my god. Oh, no. Um, I do want to say that if I had my Adderall, this probably would not have happened because I probably would have remembered to turn my phone on airplane mode. That's it. The end. I want to say we went government. to go see Spring Awakening and I can't remember what they called it, but it was a special day that was specifically for people that oh, have like a hard accessibility day. We went to where they have a hard time. Sit so it's not just for people that ha need to have accessibility needs, but it's for people that can't sit still through. Um, so they have like fidget spinners. It's for oh. people like they don't shut the doors in the middle of the theater. They don't. Um, the actors don't get mad if people like say things like they're not encouraged to interact, but it's like some people can't not blurt shit out when they're in like into a fucking scene and like the girl in front of us she she made me think of you a lot just because the way she, i think she had like had glasses and she was wearing a beanie and stuff but she kept saying stuff like oh oh no like in like in the that like there was a lady behind do. me there's a lady <laughs> behind so me like in the scene where she's pregnant she's like oh she's pregnant oh she's pregnant and then like just stuff like that and i thought it was really sweet because it's okay in that environment. So nobody's getting mad. They I, have an announcement at the beginning. And I think I want to go to those shows 
always from yeah. now because I also have a hard time sitting still. I also get distracted sometimes. I'm pretty good about like being quiet and respectful, but it's nice to be in an environment where I don't have to feel so fucking just- controlled, you yeah. know? Even at the most basic of like accessibility, like there was like a s- subtitles essentially. Like the show had like a little screen that was like not super big, super easy to ignore if you wanted to. Was the best thing that's ever happened to me watching the subtitles because I have always had that just better reinforcement of knowledge. Yeah. What you're talking about is universal design, which yeah. is that what we design for people with various disabilities or needs works for everyone. And if you don't need those <laughs> visuals up there, those words up there, don't then you them. don't look at them. So but if you do need people. them, you need them there. And even people who would say, oh, I don't need that. It can still be like, oh, that's really nice to have. And what I was going to say originally is that I thought it was funny when y'all were talking about family on the podcast and and even like uh, Hannah and Ryan, right? Yeah. Ryan, because Ryan was in it. Um, and I was like, y'all, I have been supporting family for like 15 years. We've been donating. We've watched all their content on um in COVID, I have I know people who have I've never in heard it. of them before, and I just thought it, it's just interesting. It's 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 cool that it's becoming more known, but I also think it's really great that you're talking about this because, you know, some people have more invisible disabilities, and that is really hard in many ways. But I also think it's important for people to be accepting of the very, very visible disabilities that many yes, would definitely. call super disruptive. So I even thought like the conversation about family in that podcast, I wasn't sh- because we have people who have who are, you know, I, I don't know if they have invisible disabilities, but just people talking about it like it from in a very I hate this term. We're trying to not use this term anymore, but in a very high functioning way. And it, you know, you also want to highlight and also it's okay to have very visible disabilities mm-hmm. and disabilities mm-hmm. that have big needs and that people would typically call disruptive and put them in a room and lock them away somewhere because they don't want to see that. Like this is a space that is welcoming of all types of disabilities awesome. on the stage and off the stage. And I think that is really cool. And I just really like highlighting that about family and emphasizing that. Oh yeah. Um, Belle, to make you feel better, I'm going to tell an embarrassing story that I did. Okay. Okay? So one time these two people I care about very, very much were singing a beautiful harmonious song in karaoke. And I decided that they were missing the third part. So I repeatedly kept running up to the mic, standing in front of them, shouting the third part of their song while they were trying to sing and completely ruin their song. And then I proceeded to have nightmares about it for two weeks. Were, were you really drunk? Uh, I was not really that drunk. Do you, do you know happened? what I'm talking about? No. When you and Hannah oh. were singing. <laughs> I told you it didn't bother people. anybody. I, know. I don't even <laughs> remember. Because I didn't want you to get it too easily. But I was yeah. going to say, I was going to say, is it me and Kyle? Just kidding. No, it was you and Hannah having a beautiful sibling moment singing a song in beautiful <laughs> harmony I'm, and like seven times I ran up in front of you and just like shouted the third part <laughs> into the um, microphone and then hated myself forever until this well, moment like, what <laughs> happened great. to your natural inhibitions that are fueled by your anxiety like what alcohol gave, what no she said she didn't drink that much well I hadn't yet but I don't think my anxiety is so so much post anxiety really i don't have enough anxiety to stop me from doing stupid things and that is my problem because then i have anxiety afterwards about all the stupid things i don't know why but it seems uncharacteristic to me that for you to do something like that were you there did you see it i don't remember it so i might have been inside i was inside for a while i don't remember you doing that you remember me doing it i do because i was there and you kept coming up to me and saying something and i and I kept telling you, no, go sing with them. And but so, it would have also wait, been better. So it was Salem's fault. No, it would have also been better if I had been like, I'm just going to walk up and stand next and to you. And if you would have just stayed there. Instead, I like ran back and forth and I stood in front of them and shouted at their faces. And the way you're doing this makes me think you were kind of leaning forward. Well, I was and trying like to duck low so I wouldn't block them, but I was in front of them and projecting up towards the mic. I think that some of the people in our family lack a bit of a filter and have some have some impulse issues what? 
not me. So I don't think it's that your anxiety isn't strong enough to keep you off. I think that we are <laughs> impulsive. Yeah. And the fact that we tend to be so impulsive in a world that has taught us that impulsivity is not necessarily desirable, we then have anxiety over it. After we And we so have I think moments. that the problem really lies in society and the way the society makes <coughs> impulsivity yes. such a bad thing. If you're not hurting anyone, even if you're a bit annoying, who the fuck gives a shit? It's who I am. This is who I am, bitches. Yes, yeah, that was who I was, Belle. Don't exactly. hate me. Are you mad at me? She no, didn't even uh, fucking remember. She didn't remember. That is also, also, also another thing I want to say well, is that Kelly came to <laughs> me and was like all anxious like the next day or no, the day after. I posted after. it in the whole chat because oh. I really wanted Belle and Hannah to tell me that it was okay. And, and my response was, I don't think anybody even really <laughs> noticed well, or cared. I was going to say I wouldn't be surprised if Belle and Hannah and were didn't. singing at you when you ran up. They're yeah, probably we like, probably yeah, were yeah. I kept telling uh, you to go back up there. If you want to sing, uh, go sing. Who no, cares? Okay, Belle, I just want to say going back off of mom about how Oh, society teaches us that like impulsivity, you know, and I know that impulsivity and instincts aren't necessarily the same thing, but I feel like it's kind of close. And especially as women, we are taught from birth to ignore our instincts. Yeah. And to be small, uh-huh. right? So mm-hmm. like the impulsivity that we have that that makes us big, that makes us big. You know, that's partially why we're taught to ignore our instincts mm-hmm. is because we're taught to like to be not do anything yeah. that makes us big. And like, I was a little big in that moment. Well, and, and that whole like, oh, that's annoying. How much of that is because we're truly annoying and how much of it is because society taught against, them that yeah. women should be quiet and, and it's against small. our societal well, If a guy get up and did what we do. Yeah, there is a fine line. And well, I think we cross it sometimes where yeah, we are we annoying. Do. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. We are full of life. We're loud. We're, we're boisterous. Impulsive. We're impulsive. But we, we are, are fun. We're st- happy. We're insightful and introspective. And so I don't we're, like to look at it as annoying. We're just maybe we're a little humans. more than some people we're can mi- handle. Well, we're, yeah. all, we're also prone to be combative, combative too, well, which is a bad thing. But like, I want you, but I, yeah. you too. <laughs> Oh my god, if we were in a bar and somebody was messing with us, you'd was be that combative. combative what I just said. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. Like, I thought that 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 intentional irony there was really funny. Yeah, you're really combative. What are you doing? Calling Hannah. Calling Hannah. <laughs> we're recording. We're listening yeah. to Bell talk to Hannah on the phone. Hey banana. Because Kelly has a question. Banana, are you mad at me for when I interrupted your duet with Bell and started singing the third part really annoyingly? Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. I haven't even thought about it since that. <laughs> right? That's what I said. <laughs> Most of the things that I have anxiety about, no one else gives a shit about, and yet the anxiety continues regardless. You know? <laughs> All right, that was it. All right. Thanks, Banana. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Are we ready to. Do get we want to get into story? the story? Yes. All right. I think so. So this time, yeah. Kelly is telling us this story. It's me. Woo. It's a Mario. me. Thank you. It's yeah. <laughs> As I was halfway through it, I was like, oh, I should have said it even more like that. I think my favorite, though, is when he says, let's go. Because <laughs> when I first when I first played Mario Party and he says it all the time, I swear he was saying, Mexico. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not what he was saying. Luckily, I had Chris. He's like, you're a moron. He's saying, let's go. <laughs> okay, well, I'm telling the story today. Yeah. And the story is the disappearance of Keith Reinhard from Silver Plume, Colorado. Oh, Ooh. a local. Yeah, I like doing local stories. I know it's not local to all of our listeners, but give you a little information about... Uh, part of Colorado. So how many people here, and raise your hand at home too, I can see you in my mind's eye, how many people know where Silver Plume is? Other than in Colorado, but like know where it is. Vaguely. Uh, kind okay. of. All right. So we got some, some vague. So how many people have been to Silver Plume? Plume. Yeah, Silver Plume. Maybe. 
I can't be sure. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I might have driven through it. Where is it? Well, I'll tell you in a second. But my next question is, for those of you at home, the five of you that are raising your hand that say you've been to Silver Plume, how many of you have been past the dispensary right off the highway at Silver Plume? Because I think (laughs) that like 99% of people who have been to Silver Plume probably don't make it past the dispensary. They go off the road, hit the dispensary, back on the road, and further into the mountains. That's probably what I did, honestly. Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty big dispensary right there. That's why I can't be sure. Kyle drives me around in the mountains, and I'm like, oh, Oh, there's a dispensary there. there. Babe, can we stop? (laughs) Yeah, so I would guess that if anyone at home raised their hand, they probably stopped there for, for the dispensary. So Silver Plume is a very, very small town in Colorado. It is right off of our major interstate that crosses over our mountains, so I-70. It's about an hour away from Denver in good traffic, a little less in good traffic, but good traffic really doesn't exist on I-70. So (laughs) Not anymore. Somewhere between an hour, hour and a half usually in traffic. So it sits, it's right off of, the exit is right off of I-70 and it sits in a little bit of a narrow valley. It's not like super narrow where there's only the road and the the river. Like there are some parts of I-70 where it's like the highway and the river and like canyon walls on either side. Um, This is a little bit more room, but if you compare it to any of the other towns, it's just much more narrow. So like if you look at Idaho Springs or Georgetown or other towns in the area, they have a much bigger valley to fit themselves in. Idaho Springs doesn't have a very big valley either. Yeah, but it's it's bigger than Silver Plume. Okay. And it goes, a, yeah. So it's, the big thing is that the, it's also not in like a super deep canyon, but the the mountains on the south side of the highway are steep enough that it blocks a lot of the sun. So that's the main thing with the okay. narrowness of it is that in the wintertime, there are actually parts of Silver Plume that don't get hit by any sun. Uh, so the snow just piles and piles. Yeah. yeah. So in the summer, it definitely gets more sun. But in Georgetown and Idaho Springs, um, it's just a it's just a very different vibe than Silver Plume because it's this very, very narrow little area with very little sun in the winter. Georgetown is where my dad was in jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good story. <laughs> well, um, have you been to Plus Uray? Dome. Would it yes. compare to Uray? Because Uray is pretty narrow too, isn't it? No, or- because that opens out into a little bit more. It's like Uray is almost like circular. Like there's even that like circular trail that goes all the way around. Okay. It's. I would actually say that Uray is a bigger valley, more like the Georgetown okay. Valley. And Idaho Springs is pretty narrow. But again, just to emphasize, Silver Plume is very narrow. Okay. I'm just trying to compare it because I'm trying to think of the valleys I've been to and what would be considered a valley. Yeah. Because like Central City and Blackhawk, those are mountain towns. Right. They're not really valleys. And so, but Idaho Springs. Okay. Uray didn't seem very big to me, but I've only been there once. Um, I'm just thinking how you can look down over it. It's like more of a basin. Yeah, it is. I would say it's like a a big basin down at the bottom. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. So if if any of you don't know um, any of the towns we're talking about, just trying to illustrate that it's this this little narrow stretch right along the highway that just doesn't have a lot there. And it's one of the smaller. It's definitely smaller than every single other town that we've mentioned. Okay. So just to give a little bit. I don't think I've been there. Um, so which, which dispensary is it? It's a green there? solution. I think they they were offering when I worked at the green solution. That's probably why this sounds so familiar. They wanted a manager to work at Silver Plume, and they were going to pay like thirty thousand a year to commute from Denver. Oh, if you're commuting, that's not worth it. If you're living in Silver Plume, yeah. that's probably fine. But that's could you afford bad. to live there for? Th- yeah, it's. I, yeah, I mean, maybe in Silver Plume. If it's that small of a town, it probably yeah. isn't going to be as expensive to buy property there as, say... Yeah, there's like, probably no property to buy. Still, it's still more expensive than other areas. So I actually have a friend who's a little obsessed with Silver Plume, and I think he would buy a house there if he could. And it's still mountain community. So it's probably... But I I, mean, I have no idea how expensive it actually is. Well, but let me like, tell you more about this. Just, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to just say like Leadville. Leadville was a dying town. Like you could buy a house there for super fucking cheap. And now it's like picked up all of this popularity as a mountain town. Yeah. And I will definitely say that Silver Plume has to be cheaper than every other town we have mentioned, including Leadville, including Uray, including Idaho Springs. And let me tell you a little bit more about it and you'll kind of understand. So I don't know prices. It might still be expensive to live in the mountains, but it just doesn't seem off that you could survive there on a $30,000 a year salary. But I don't know. Let me know if I'm wrong, listeners. Tell me more about Silver Plume. But 
so when you drive past on the road, it really is absolutely nothing to look at. It's this just tiny, tiny little um, blip, especially in the winter, because as I already mentioned, it doesn't get a lot of sun. Uh, it only gets like a couple hours of sun in parts of the town and parts of the town don't get any sun at all. How sad. Um, yeah. So and then you have to think of that snow, like you mentioned, that never melts. And then like the dead trees, it looks really gloomy. It has like a big wall um, right up on the highway to kind of protect some of the sound that always gets splattered and dirty snow. So it just doesn't doesn't look like much from the highway. feels pretty dark and gloomy. It is definitely a stark contrast in every way to the tourist town of Georgetown that is just a couple miles up the road. So Georgetown is the closest other town. Idaho Springs isn't too far away either. They are very touristy and complete contrast to Silver Plume. Is Silver Plume west of Georgetown? So is it further up the mountain? Yes. I bet I have been there. Yeah. Have you ever done the Georgetown Loop Railroad? Yes. So no, the, I haven't. Never okay. Mind. Nope. Georgetown Loop Railroad goes from Georgetown up to Silver Plume and then comes back. Um, but not many people. I'm stop pretty sure I've up been there. up there, but it was years ago. George and I also like he would drive me around the mountains. But yeah. this is years ago, and like we can't stand the traffic anymore. It's not worth it. But we like to go to Idaho Springs and Georgetown, so we mm-hmm. went up there several times. And I know we drove up past, and I'm sure we've gone to Silver Plume and driven around and been like, oh, there's nothing here," and gone back down. And then gone. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that if you've spent any time in the Colorado mountains it, through our most or like our largest thoroughfare, like through I-70, you have driven past it, you've seen it. But most people don't really know what it is other don't know than the sign there. on the side of the road. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit more about it. Uh, from the road, you can see the big dispensary. So that's where people will get off and be like, sweet, dispensary, and get right back on. You can see an auto shop from the road. And you can see an old historic hotel. You may or may not know it's a hotel, but like an old historic building and then a bunch of like houses that are pretty historic houses throughout there. But if you get off of the highway and go to the main street, they do right now, they have a small coffee shop that's been there for a couple years. It's pretty good lattes. We stop there sometimes. Got a nice little cozy vibe. And then there's this cool cocktail bar that opened in the old bakery. And because the bakery had a big, the big word bread on it, it, they called it the bread bar. So... Okay. That's Bread bar cool. up there. And it's like super hipstery, like kind of cool vibe. They have like live music sometimes on the weekends, oh. in the winter and summer, but especially really big in the summer. That's really it. There the town website does say that there's an apothecary bookstore, but I don't really know where it is and a lot of their stuff is sold online, so it might just be like yeah. a very small storefront. I'm not really sure. They used to have some some antique stores and stuff, but there's not really anything else there. So there's no gas station. No real restaurant. I think the coffee shop has like breakfast burritos, but that's it. And not really any stores or anything to do there. So we're talking a coffee shop and a bar. Okay. And that's it. My kind of town. I know. Not bad, right? <laughs> so a little and bit a of dispensary. And a dispensary. Like what more could you need? That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but everyone has to go to Georgetown to do their grocery shopping, mm-hmm. to yeah. get gas, and to go out to any real restaurants. Uh, we have stayed in Silver Plume because, like I said, I have a friend who's a little obsessed with Silver Plume. We do stop and get Silver Plume coffee basically every time we come down from skiing. <laughs> and we have been to the bread bar a handful of times, um, which is just even weird to say, like how many times I've been to Silver Plume. No one really needs to go to Silver Plume that many times. That's cool, though. That's but like your hangout. It's like a weird little hangout. But what it really is now is it's, it's a pretty, um, it's a very tiny and pretty, I don't want to say that it's like a rundown town, but it's just there's not a lot there. And most people are just going to drive right past it on their way to see the sites. Uh, so a little bit of history. Silver Plume is in Clear Creek County, which uh, has Georgetown and Idaho Springs in that same county as well. And Clear Creek County was one of the big focus areas of the gold rush in 1858 and 1859. So as people came up Clear Creek to seek gold, they had settlements in these areas that became Idaho Springs, Georgetown and Silver Plume. Did they find silver instead? Yes. Is that why they're called Silver Plume? I'm getting there. Okay. (laughs) So um, it started as a mining camp for the gold rush, but a few years after the rush, people realized that there was also silver in them there hills. (laughs) (laughs) So then we had what was called the silver boom. The gold rush rushed everyone into the mountains, but then the silver boom in the 1860s and 1870s was when we also started seeing a bunch of silver mines pop up. So there is some unsighted lore that I found that had no sights to go with it that said the town itself was named by Louis Dupuy, 
who was the owner of the Hotel de Paris in Georgetown. So if you're ever in Georgetown, it's actually a really nice historic building. You can do tours of it. I went with mom and dad, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, so he owned the, the hotel in Georgetown. But when he was asked, what should we name this settlement up the hill from Georgetown, uh, it was said that he wrote the following poem. Knights today are miners bold who delve in deep mines gloom to honor men who dig for gold for ladies who their arms enfold will name the town Silver Plume. It's kind of lame. <laughs> no, that's cool. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> you didn't I mean, I write, didn't write it. it. I didn't write it. It's directed at whatever the John Silver guy's name was or whatever. The Louis Dupuis. It is I didn't kind even of... get his first name right. <laughs> It is John, John, John Silver, Silver, whatever. whatever. <laughs> John, I am John Silver, and I will name this town after me, not after the silver in the mountain. No, you forgot the whatever. <laughs> He's John, John Silver, Silver whatever. whatever. I didn't it's see think John his, I didn't think his actual last name was Silver. <laughs> I was just well, like, his first that guy. name wasn't John either. I know, he was Louis. Louis, yeah, probably Louis Dupuis, because it's Hotel de Paris. I don't know. I don't know if Lo- he was French. De Louis de Pug. Louis Dupuis. It's kind of a, a weird poem because it, like, it talks about miners and talks about gold, and then all of a sudden says, so we'll name the town Silver Plume. Like, I don't really understand it. But uh, so the Silver Plume was officially incorporated into an actual town in 1880. Some have said that in its heyday, it had about 2,000 residents. So always it was kind of a small mining camp, but got up to 2,000 residents, probably at the beginning of the rush when there were lots of people traveling through the area. But the first year that a census was done was 1890, and the population was just under 1,000 at the time. So 1,000 people. And then in 1893... That's the the size of town I want to live in. That's like Marshall, a little... little Yeah. But so even in its heyday, it was like a little bigger than Marshall. <laughs> like even in its heyday, it was a very, very small I'm town. I'm moving to Silver Plume. Tell well, your friend, watch wait. out. <laughs> wait till you hear what the population is now. So after the U.S. government switched to the gold standard in 1893, I don't know if you know any history about that, but mm. at that point in time, interest in silver plummeted. The worth of silver plummeted because we all, the government switched to gold um, when they had previously been doing a bimetal standard. Bastards. Yep. So that is when population started to decline fairly rapidly. Uh, And there's been a little bit of an increase in recent years. But right now, the current population is around 200. Oh, wow. So much, much, much lower than in in the silver days. I could not even imagine living in a town that's like as small as Marshall. Like one of my favorite things about living in the city is that I see my neighbors every day. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about them. The idea of everybody that I lived around knowing everything about me makes me really uncomfortable. I don't care. I don't, I don't mind want that people part. to know about me. No, I'm, I think I'm becoming, nobody should perceive me. I don't want to perceive you. I want to walk down the street and people be like, hi, Salem. Yeah, I do too. I don't mind knowing my neighbors. I think that I need a town that has like a restaurant and a gas station, I feel yes. like. And so I, you can see why, like with only 200 people, that's why all they have is a coffee shop and a bar. But if I could go down to Georgetown, which yeah. isn't that far away, it wouldn't be any different than me trying to drive downtown now to go do something. No, I mean, it's only two miles. Be easier. It'd yeah, be like easier. When we, yeah. easier. <laughs> when we stayed in Silver Plume, we went down to Georgetown for, for dinner. and Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the town website says that the current population is 203, but the town website also says, asterisk, population figure may include dogs, drop-ins, and ground squirrels. Quote it with caution. <laughs> so oh, I am quoting okay. the 203 with caution. So they know they're a very, very tiny town. They have the website, though. Like, that. I don't know why I don't expect towns that small to have a town website. They do. They have a town website and has some history and stuff wow. on there. Um, and like I said before, they're having a little bit of a revitalization right now because in the 1980s, which is when our story actually takes place, the population was about 130 to 140. Wow. wow. Okay. So even smaller. But at the time, there was a restaurant cafe, as far as I know, and there was like an a few antique shops okay. in town. All right. So Tom Young is not Keith Reinhardt, <laughs> but we're still going to get there eventually. We're starting with Tom Young. Tom Young in 1987 
was a resident of Silverplume. He had been there for almost 20 years. He was a retired U.S. Army Special Forces veteran and a former Arvada High School art teacher. But in 1987, he was running a travel bookstore, and he'd been doing that for about a year, on Main Street in Silverplume called the Charing Cross Station. The store was in the Knights of Pythias building, which I believe is where the coffee shop is now. Um, Tom lived alone with his dog, a black lab named Gus, whom he loved dearly. Oh. There are some reports from fellow residents who called him eccentric, but I don't really like that. I don't know why we have to call other people eccentric. We're all just people. From what I can tell, he was just a guy who really loved his dog and kept to himself and lived alone in his small town. I feel like if you're going to go as far to call somebody eccentric, just go all out and just call him weird. Yeah, it almost seems like weird, weird is kinder than eccentric. Yeah. Really. But to be fair, this was the 80s. Maybe it's a little they didn't, weird. Like, maybe yeah. they didn't say weird very much in the 80s. And to be fair, it is kind of eccentric to keep to yourself in a tiny town like that. Like, it's like almost the opposite of what people who move to small down- towns do. So I could see. Yeah, maybe. But as far as I know, he still talks to residents and oh, was really? still like around. But I just think that he may not have had a lot of like social yeah. interactions. I thought you know, that maybe he's awkward and. I thought the difference between weird and eccentric was that eccentric people had money. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> it. So maybe he is weird. But I still think in the 80s, they probably wouldn't have just called him weird. Like, that was just a thing I'd heard growing up. Heard people say oh, that. Oh, maybe in the like 80s? A, yeah. Because <laughs> you grew up in the 80s? Uh, so in the summer of 1987, he had mentioned to some people in town that he was going to be traveling to Europe. Uh, but he didn't really share any concrete plans or anything. But again, he kind of kept to himself. He was just running his bookstore, chilling with his dog, loving his dog. He really loved his dog. On September 7th, 1987, Tom was seen with Gus after locking up his shop for the day. And he was never seen again. Oh, no. Uh, because some had thought that he'd left for this trip to Europe that he'd mentioned, three weeks went by before town members became suspicious about his absence. Uh, Once the police eventually got involved, they talked with Tom's family, who knew nothing about a European trip. They also found no record of a plane ticket being purchased or Gus being kenneled anywhere, which he would have had to be if he was going to Europe. So they determined that he actually never likely went to Europe. And he was missing. Hmm. Fast forward to the following summer, summer of 1988, when Keith Reinhard moves to Silverplume. Let's take a break. Oh, all yeah. right. Nice. Break time. How, how long did we go over? Hey, little Shemmies. Thanks for tuning in. While we were on our break, I just wanted to let you guys know how you can get a hold of us if you wanted to send us an email with your spooky stories. I'm still waiting for you to tell me those so I could tell them to you. Our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear from you on the various social media sites. We're ffsthepodcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at E-F-F-E-D up story time. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We love you, Shemmies. And uh, back to the show. Over. Okay. okay, back from break. We just got back from break. We just ate some strawberry shortcake. <laughs> and now strawberry we're back from break. Short- How's everyone doing after that break? I don't know. My heart's starting to ache waiting for you to finish your story. I don't I'm know. just trying to rhyme. <laughs> I'm kind of constipated. I'm, I'm the rhinoceros. <laughs> You're constipated. Always. Oh, well. Do some shots of vodka. That always loosens me up <laughs> yes. the next day. I do have some vodka downstairs. <laughs> Tequila's even better. Let's just get back to the story here. Because I feel like this is it. (laughs) All right, Kelly, take us back to the story. All right. So we are now in the summer of 1988. And Keith Reinhardt was a sports writer for the Chicago Daily Herald. He was living in a Chicago suburb. He'd been working at his job mostly covering high school sports for about 22 years, but he was beginning to feel the need for a change. He was 48 years old, and he felt his 50th birthday quickly approaching. I'm looking across the table at Salem. He was so old. No, he was not at all, but he definitely was starting to feel like, okay, I'm going to have lived a half century, and have I done the things I want to do? And one of his sons said that he was he was starting to want to make sure that he 
didn't have any regrets in the future. Like when he was 20, 30 years in the future, sitting in a rocking chair, he didn't want to be thinking, I should have done this, that, or whatever. Is this my dad? No regrets. When he ran away into the mountains and lived in a tent for like three months? <laughs> Might be. <laughs> Might be something similar. Um, some people said he just really hated living in the big city and he was just really needing to get away from it. Some people said he was suffering a midlife Denver crisis. Denver do that too, yeah. No, this was Chicago. Oh, and he was oh, big yeah. Windy all the time and violence. Like, yeah. and it's you're getting like, held at gunpoint and your hat's blowing off at the same time. It's like a double too, whammy. Is also it's so it's cold in cold Chicago city. that like it snows once and then it's ice for like six months and there's no going back from it until spring. Yeah, that's kind of true. It's so funny that people always talk about how cold it is in, in Denver, but it's like. In Denver, we have so much sun, but up north, it does feel like once it's winter, it's just it's always just gonna winter. be winter forever. Yeah, Michigan. and it is windy, and people talk about it being miserable there. But I, it's also a cool city, y'all. So, oh, it is a cool city. Want... Some people love it. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, we don't know why Keith didn't want to stay in Chicago, a perfectly beautiful, lovely town. All those flat rats. We also know that he was married at the time to a woman named Carolyn. And they had a daughter together. He also had a couple of sons that I'm guessing are older and from a previous relationship because they weren't really listed and included when they talked about Carolyn and their daughter. But then they pop up later when they're like talking about their dad. So I don't really know. But he had family and he was married is the point. And he had a life in Chicago. But he felt he was being called out west. (laughs) So he had a friend I'm trying to be poetic in my writing these days. I feel days. like that's the great American <laughs> You're <doing> misconception. <laughs> yeah. What? Out Go west? west. Yeah. You well, keep going. Until you're in California and then you've turned all the way around. And, you know. I think it's interesting. Go to back think, east. I think yeah. it's interesting to think, you know, 100 years after everyone felt like they were being called out west for the, the gold rush and the silver boom to the Colorado mountains. Now we have... Keith Reinhardt also feeling like he's being called out west. There are many stories of people who feel Did that. Did like, he yeah. get diagnosed with tuberculosis? No. Was that? Because that was a common a common <laughs> prescription <laughs> for people back in like the 1800s. Go west. Yeah. Who got diagnosed yeah. with tuberculosis. They recommended that they move to the Rockies because yep. that fresh mountain air, for whatever reason, a lot of times it worked. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not it's a doctor. The lack of but oxygen. that's a, a lore that I know. <laughs> I think the mountains are healing, so I can yeah. understand it. I can understand people having this. Anyway, he had a friend who lived here in Colorado, lived in Silver Plume. His friend was named Ted Parker. Ted said that they were more like brothers, and so they'd stayed in touch over the years. They'd grown up across from the street from each other or something like that, and they'd stayed in touch. And so Keith had heard a lot about Ted's Colorado life and found it just such the opposite of the city life in Chicago, and he just found it really appealing. So did he really feel called? I don't know, but he wanted to move out here. I imagine his friend called him, so he was (laughs) called to Colorado. In the 80s, too, and even like the 90s, early 90s, Colorado was such a different place, too. It was even Denver, the city of Denver was a small town in some people's. Yeah, it was a cow town. Compared to Chicago, if he would have moved to the city here, it still would have been a huge difference. It still would have been. And he ended up moving to a town that had 130 to 140 mm-hmm. in population. I forgot to mention this earlier when I described Silver Plume, but people still today call it um, a living ghost town. Ooh. So this kind of helps. I was trying to paint the picture of what Silver Plume was like and is like, and that is a really good description. They call it a living ghost town because it's it's like dead, mm-hmm. and yet not. Like there are still people who, who just live there. Just a handful of people that live yeah, there. Yeah, so just to kind of paint that picture of, of what it felt like. Some true determination. Yeah. Like everything's dying around you and you're like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, right. Or like even this guy, like, oh, that's where the where the happen in place to be. <laughs> 130 people in a dying, dying, barely alive ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. So his idea was that he was going to take a three month sabbatical from his job at the newspaper and he was going to try out living in Silver Plume on his own out here. He had three goals for this time period. He wanted to get in shape by climbing mountains. He wanted to overcome his fear of heights, and he wanted to begin writing a novel. And the plan was that his wife would stay in Chicago to start. He explained that he wanted to write a book in peace and quiet, and he wanted to rediscover himself. Um, So he was coming out here alone and leaving his family behind. But eventually, if things went well, then Carolyn would come and join him in Silver Plume. So Keith, not Ken, Keith 
relocated to Silver Plume in the summer of 1988. He rented a store in the old Knights of Pythias building on the town's main street, and he sold antiques and began writing his book. So pretty quickly, Keith heard about the mysterious disappearance of Tom Young from the summer before. He also learned that Tom's bookstore had been in the exact same location of Keith's antique store. So that Knights of Pythias oh. building. Is that how you pronounce Pythias? Is that no a thing? Idea. I've never heard of Knights of Pythias. So. Knights of Pythias. Maybe that's what it is. Pythias? It's P-Y. So P-Y Knights of Pythias. I don't know. but I that, haven't heard of them either. Me neither. <laughs> but that is the building that I'm pretty sure just based off pictures is where the coffee shop is right now. And it was the location of Tom's bookstore. And then once Tom disappeared, they cleared it out. And then Keith moved in with his antique store. So when Keith discovered this, he actually became a little obsessed with the story of Tom's disappearance. And he started asking residents a bunch of questions and collecting a bunch of information about what may have happened to Tom. And he eventually decided he wanted to use Tom and Tom's story as his inspiration for this novel that he was writing. So his main character of the novel was named Guy Gypsum, and he was a combination of Tom and Keith. A hybrid, if you will. Yeah. On July 31st, 1988... Some local hunters were out in the middle of the wilderness about an hour's hike outside of Silver Plume when they came across skeletal remains. Alongside the human skeletal remains were the remains of a dog. Both the human skeleton and the dog skeleton had been shot. Shot? Shot. The dog too? I'm sorry. When After Jesse said hybrid, I couldn't stop thinking golden doodle. And I missed where did they find this body? (laughs) Um, It was about an hour's hike outside of Silver Plume where some hunters were just like walking through the wilderness and doing some hunting. Um, So nearby these remains, there was a Smith & Wesson Model 36 and a backpack. And so eventually the police determined that this was the remains of of Tom Young and um, Tom Young's sweet puppy. Uh, They also found out that Tom had purchased a gun, that gun, that specific gun, just four days before his disappearance. So they ruled the death a suicide. Oh, he shot his dog and then shot himself. That is what the police have said. He would never shoot shoot his dog. That is exactly what the locals (laughs) said. The locals were really um, suspicious and skeptical and they suspected foul play. The primary reason was that they said that he would never hurt Gus. They also, I guess there was a, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I guess it was said that there was a tarp that was pulled over the body. So like who would have done that if he shot himself? With his last dying act, he covered himself with a tarp so he could not be found. So even Keith, you know, Keith was becoming really obsessed with the story. And then he was already obsessed with the story and talking about the disappearance. And then they found out that um, they found Tom's remains uh, on July 31st. So Keith was even saying that I he was convinced that Tom Young's death was not a suicide. He said there is some shady stuff going on here. Yeah. Shady stuff in Silver Plume. I found the pronunciation for you. Knights of Pythias. That was my second guess. Yep. It doesn't really matter to our story at all. Knights of Pythias. Pythias. I said that. So I did not say, you said that. I said Pythias, and then you said it's P-Y, and I went, oh. Yeah. It it really doesn't matter. The only reason I put it in there is because I was trying to see if you would draw the connection when I said that his his store was in the Knights of It's in the same building. building. And then I said Keith's store was in the Knights of Pythias. September 7th, 1987 was the last time Tom was seen alive. July 31st, 1988, his remains were found. Okay. Sorry, clarification. A few days later, on August 7th, 1988, so 11 months to the day after Tom had last been seen in town, Keith closed up his shop at the Knights of Pythias building, and he closed up his shop for the last time. He told everyone he saw that afternoon in Silver Plume that he was going to hike the nearby Pendleton Mountain. This was very strange for a variety of reasons. The mountain is a 12,000 plus foot peak, uh, generally rated as a difficult hike. Keith had been known for his fear of heights. And he was last seen leaving town around 4 to 5 p.m., but the round trip for that mountain hike from Silver Plume would have taken around six hours. Also, he had tried to climb the mountain before, but he had actually been thwarted 
by its steep and rugged terrain. He also left with no proper hiking gear. He was wearing tennis shoes and he didn't have appropriate clothing for the cold temperatures up on the top of the mountain. Because even in July and August Mm -hmm. in the Colorado mountains, if you get above 12,000 feet, if you get above 11,000, you know, as you climb up there, it gets colder and colder and colder. So Ted, Keith's friends, thought that Keith was just messing around with him. Keith came by to see Ted at Ted's cafe and to say, I'm going to go hike the mountain and I'll be back in town by about 10 p.m. tonight. And Ted said that Keith told him, if I don't come back, call on the rescue. But he thought he just said that in jest. He thought the whole thing was him just messing around. He's like, yeah, you're going to go hike this mountain. Ha ha. How weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But apparently off he headed towards the mountains. He was last seen leaving town. As I said, he told basically everyone he saw in town, I'm going to go hike that mountain. He failed to return that night. And so Ted uh, reported him missing the next day, August 8th. Is Was that... Anywhere nearby where the other guy's remains were found? His remains, I don't know actually if they were found on Pendleton Mountain. I don't think so. Okay. I don't but I don't know. I don't have that specific. But they were found in the wilderness outside of Silver Plume, so maybe somewhere. What yeah. is happening in Silver Plume? I don't know. Aliens. So on August eighth, when he was reported missing, the Alpine Rescue Team launched a search and a rescue mission. On and near Pendleton Mountain. They also searched Sherman Mountain and Republican Mountain. So there are other mountains in the area. There's a lot of hiking trails. There's the old mine above the town that you can Mm -hmm. hike up to. So lots of different areas. And they launched a search on Pendleton and the surrounding areas. The head of the rescue team has this had this quote at the time. The Reinhardt search was like looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack. This haystack is 3,000 vertical feet of 60-degree slope. This was about as difficult to search terrain as we cover. We were at a real disadvantage because Keith went into the mountains wearing no more than blue jeans and a flannel shirt and tennis shoes. He had no backpack. He had no equipment. A typical subject of search will leave lots of clues for us to trace. Keith didn't leave many clues. He didn't have many to with him to leave behind. Like He couldn't leave his jacket, leave items to try and yeah. make a trail. So along with the ground search and the rescue teams, they also had planes and helicopters and sniffer dogs. And the search went on for a week until August 11th, a Cessna Civil Air Patrol plane was carrying two rescuers who were searching for Keith, crashed into Pendleton Mountain, killing the pilot, Terry Ledens, and seriously injuring the spotter, Don Dropney. So on August 12th, the search was called off. Okay. Does that make sense? On August 11th, the plane crashed. And then on August 12th, So then they called it off. They were like, this is too dangerous, and we haven't found him, and they called called it off at that point. Yeah, well, by that point... Yeah. He's n- probably not alive. You yeah, because it had been a week. So August 7th was when he was last seen. So then 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th. So that's only four days. But it's in August in the mountains. I'm sure it's cold at night. He didn't have appropriate he didn't gear. didn't have gear. Nope. Did, um, did he have water? Did I he mean, have food? Did he have anything? Based he, on what they said, he didn't take anything yeah, with him. Yeah. He could have gotten hypothermia that very first night. Like, I mean, he could have survived, but the likelihood by like five days is that. And especially with no water and no food. I mean, and I don't know how cold. It depends on the elevation. If he made it up to yeah. the peak, then yeah, he could have gotten hypothermia that night. If he was down in Silver Plume, maybe not. You know, maybe not. Yeah, I, it's hard. August, it's yeah. hard to know. But regardless, they called off the search on August 12th. And at this point in time, the only clue that was left behind in the case. Uh, was in Keith's book that he had begun to write, found by friends on his computer. And the main character, Guy Gypsum, um, the quote says, Guy Gypsum changed into some hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood it all now and his motivation. Guy closed the door, then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado forests above. Wow. Another um, clue. I said the only clue, but there, there was another clue. They found... In his de- on his desk, there was an article about Tom Young and his body being discovered. And then he had his novel that had like that quote in it on his computer. And then there was also this particular poem, musing, thought that was written by him that said, Once you know death, once you've accepted it, the fear is gone. All that remains is the anticipation. 
Couple other things that we know about this time. He, apparently, he had been in communication with the newspaper in Chicago, and they had been talking about him covering a particular team or a particular topic in the fall. So there was speculation that maybe he was planning to return to Chicago. He'd also had like some conversations about being really interested in going to West Virginia. But why would he like, I'm going on a hike and then just not come home and go to West Virginia? I, I think that could be yeah. a, um, that to me is almost an indicator. So what we have here are some things that might be indicating suicide. So he has this weird mm -hmm. quote mm -hmm. um, that's talking about the anticipation of death, the yeah. going off into the woods yep. where he, and the telling everyone, like, I'm going, I'm going on a hike. I'm going on a hike. Right. Like, why are you telling so many people going completely unprepared, clearly, like seemingly intentionally unprepared. But then we have other things that seem to counteract this idea that he would be committing suicide in that he was firmly against the idea that Tom had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. He um, had all these plans to like finish his novel. He had not finished it. He uh, had had communication about doing some more work in Chicago. He had interest in traveling to West Virginia, which might imply that like, why would he say that and then go and end his life? So, that leaves us with a lot of questions. Yeah. Keith Reinhardt was never seen again to this day. They have not found any um, remains or evidence Jeez. of him in the mountains over Silver Plume. Did they check the West Virginian mountains? <laughs> I don't know. So there are a variety of theories that people have. One of them is that some of Keith's and Tom's family and friends believe that something had been discovered related to the building that they were in. I was going to say it's the Knights of Pythias. Pythias. <laughs> I, I don't know about them, but they thought maybe something had been discovered in the building that they shouldn't have discovered and that both were murdered as a result. Yeah. But Keith was very loud and proud about heading out into the mountains. Yeah, so that's that the thing yeah. that's weird. Some people think that he committed suicide. Some people think that he went out hiking and thought he was going to be able, like said he wanted to emulate the feel of this adventurous character in his novel and he wanted to go have this experience. You know, that quote that was talking about the pull of the Colorado mountains, you know, wanting to go out and experience this. So he had more information for his novel and he was just really unprepared and, and got himself killed in doing that potentially. Yeah. One thing that's interesting to me between both of them is that you know, that people in the town are saying they both talked about traveling and leaving and then they disappeared. And I find that interesting that they both talked about, like, getting out of the town, whether it was to travel or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. So are the two disappearances connected? I don't know. Yeah. Are they coincidental? It's interesting that Keith was really obsessed with the story of Tom and then right after Tom's body was found off he went yeah. to go um, really sad that the search also ended up killing another person and yeah. seriously injuring Shitting. another yeah. person it just really shows how dangerous search and rescue mm -hmm. can be mm -hmm. and you know people act a little cavalier in the mountains in the Colorado mountains and think like oh mm -hmm. it's no big and and but if search and rescue is called, not only does it cost a fortune, mm -hmm. it also is really dangerous for those rescuers. They're so, putting their lives on the line every sure. time they go on a rescue search. I mean, yeah. yeah. This was also the only search and rescue that was not successful in like 30 years for the Alpine search and rescue. Oh, wow. Because they usually, but did, it was a really tough area for them to be able to search. Did they get better again over the years after i don't know that oh, was just okay. some random like statistic i saw <laughs> thrown out there i think it was at the time i don't know if it's including years after yeah. that i don't know but it was like the only one in 30 years that's so sad. what happened to keith that's i wonder were they both, aliens were they possessed by something in the building Ooh. so if i would say and that caused them both to go off into the wilderness and kill themselves some sort of entity but I've, how did um tom's body get covered with a tarp aliens that to me would say that maybe tom's not connected to keith because aliens wouldn't shoot tom with an earth gun you don't know that mm. do you know an alien <laughs> If Tom was holding an earth gun and they were like, oh, he's already got something I can use, so I'll just use this. I don't know. If they have the technology to find earth and travel here, they have like disintegrating laser guns. It's just got to be a thing. Maybe it's just as fun for them as it is for <laughs> us to show like a real like 
you know, bang up gun, banging gun. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I've never held a gun. I, I don't know, <laughs> about but that. I hear that it's fun. Um, I also will say that there's a documentarian, documentary director, who started working on a documentary about this topic in 2014 and I like I was like I want to watch this movie 2014 was a million years ago and apparently just now finished and they're looking for distributors this year so it took me some digging to figure that out I was like where is this movie but they were doing some investigating they were spending time in silver plume so maybe they have some new information when that comes out that might be interesting it's going to be called dark side of the mountain Mm -hmm. they do have a website that kind of tells the story and I did use that you know, to get some information for my story. So they have lots of lots of information on there and maybe we'll have some more come out when that comes out. But as of yeah. right now, we don't know what happened. The end. Oh, I was just gonna say, so we have no idea what happened to Keith and we're left to decide if we believe that Tom committed suicide and killed his dog. Yep. Only in reverse order. And then order. dragged his and then, and then dragged and the then he his killed body. himself. He then killed his dog, and, and then, then his final <laughs> act was dragging the tarp He killed over himself, them both. and then he went, "Oh shit! If I'm not alive, my dog's gonna die anyway." Shot his dog, <laughs> and then with his last strength, covered them both. <laughs> Sounds about right. I, think. I can't That's believe it. It. there we was like, it. like, did they, was there a hole or anything? Because I can't believe that a tarp in the middle of the woods with a big bump under it stayed there a year and nobody came across let's it. be clear i don't know for sure that there was a tarp it was like some comment <laughs> that was in one of my sources that said like apparently there was a tarp and i was okay. like that sounds really official and okay and so but and if was, there was or if that might have just been rumors that the town was saying but if there was then obviously that seems really implausible no i he, don't think the unsolved mysteries story showed a tarp in their recreation he killed the dog then covered him and the dog with the tarp and then shot himself under the tarp. Oh, okay. And then Maybe kicked that's it. the gun, so then it was... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. I mean, it seems like... I mean, the other thing, though, is not just the where I his know. body was. It's also the fact that, like, would he have killed his dog? Like, why would right. he have killed himself anyway? Like, I'd, I mean, he was a little weird, I guess, but I don't know that there was any indication that he was <sighs> unhappy with his life. He'd been talking about traveling to see Europe... But, but there, it's probably the most the most likely solution is probably the one, and that is the solution. Oh, oh are you me, okay? That um, that the police came to, in that it was it was a suicide, and right. that's probably what happened. Well, because why else would you talk about going to Europe? But there were no plans that the police could find anywhere that he was making. So it's almost like he made up this story so people wouldn't look for him. Yeah, that absolutely could be part of it. That he didn't want people coming for him or following him or wondering where he went or. I mean, there's a variety of things that could have happened, but since he bought a gun four days before he disappeared and he took his dog up into the mountains and they both ended up shot with the gun that he had just bought four days before, it was probably a suicide. That's a hell of a crime of opportunity if somebody else came upon yes. them, used his gun, used his gun, and then left it. Yeah. It was planned. It was whatever, Knights of Pythias. I don't even know what that is, and I feel like we shouldn't it's throw them under of, the bus. No, it's just kind it of... It could just be the building owner or the... Let's throw them fr- under the bus. It's a fraternal... fucking landlord. <laughs> it's a fraternal order, kind of like the Knights of Columbus that was first established in 1864. Yeah, I okay. I looked it up. <laughs> but I also... <laughs> some people also speculate that the building might have had, like, CO2 poisoning. Oh, so some That was messing with yeah. their heads. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's the location of Plume Coffee. So go check out Plume Coffee in Silver Plume, Colorado. Take deep breaths and see if you feel crazy. See if you get possessed. I mean, that was like 30 What was it in between? I'm sure it was other things. I think it was an antique store. On Google Street View right now, it looks like an antique store, Mm. Um, which is why I'm only mostly sure that that's the coffee shop. But it looks like the coffee shop and the address was there. So I think that's, Mm. that's what it is now. That's cool. Well, maybe we'll have to go check it out sometime this maybe. summer. Uh, what well, I have a funny story. One time there was a like, like years ago there was like a tea shop there in town, and our friend is obsessed with Silver Plume and wanted to like he he's also obsessed with coffee and wanted to stop and get some coffee like on the way down from skiing, and so he's like, oh, there's this tea shop. So he and Matt went into the tea shop, and it was like a fancy dress tea party type tea shop. <gasps> oh no! And they're just like wearing their ski gear, and they wouldn't give him anything to go. Like they don't have to go stuff, so oh, they just no. like ordered a cup of tea and sat down and had tea and then left. That's funny. 
<laughs> that isn't in, in existence anymore. Well, that is that your story? Yep. That was an effed up yeah. story. So now for something not effed up. Okay. And now for something completely different. One thing doesn't suck. One thing doesn't suck. Why do Started we got to start low. going higher? I've got an alto voice. <laughs> I, d- I do anymore too, but that's too low for me. Uh, I think it's good enough, y'all. Suck. <laughs> I suck. Feel let's let's move move right along. Suck. Um, all right, so did y'all hear about this story back in February? Did y'all hear what Dave Grohl did back in February? Um, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't know who Dave Grohl is, he is lost in space. Yeah, seriously. He's the Foo Fighters like front man. Or he was they're... also the drummer for Nirvana a million yeah. years ago. I was just to say they're lost in space or they're too young to to listen to our podcast. Foo no, to, li- to listen to our podcast. Did so. I say Foo Fighters? No, I didn't. Why did you say I that? I thought she was going to say too young for Foo Fighters. No, and I said too young to listen to our podcast if they don't we know who they are. Oh, that's true. Here at our podcast. But yes, you should go listen we to Foo Fighters. all uh, over the age of 18 right. who right. listen all to adults. our podcast. That's fair. All adults. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I thought uh, you were just being ageist against like the Gen Z generation. And I was like, it's cool. They can listen. If you're 16 or 17, maybe you can listen to our podcast. Yeah, but, but if you're know. any younger than that, stop listening. And it's okay that right you don't now. know who Dave Grohl is because you turn it off. Go tell yeah. go tell your parents that you've they, been you've... listening because you may need some therapy. <laughs> and yeah, they possibly. can tell you who the Foo Fighters are. Well, anyway, Dave Grohl <laughs> of the Foo Fighters, he decided to smoke a butt ton of meat. He smoked brisket and pork butt Aww, and ribs. I'm sad. I thought that was he... going a different way. <laughs> I was like, whoa. No, that's fair. I should have phrased it I thought this was like a happy thing. What did he do? He he barbecued, smoked a bunch of meat. I don't know. And he delivered it to Hope the Mission Center in Northridge, California. I did say that weird because Hope the Mission, I guess, is what the name of the organization is. So he arrived with all of his meat. He prepped. um, Oh, I guess he did it at the place. I'm sorry. My bad. So he arrived with all of the meat and he like prepped the meat and he cut it all up and he stayed there and put it into the smoker. And apparently the meat didn't get into the smoker until midnight because he said it has to season and it has to do this. And he was like putting all this effort and energy into making all of this meat. Let's yes, be Sam. fair. Dave Grohl is a seasoned rock star, so staying up till midnight <laughs> is nothing for him. That's, that's probably true. Accurate. But apparently a major winter storm even moved through Southern California at this time. So there was like hail and rain um, all that night. But he stayed all the way through until 3 p.m. the next day on February 23rd. And then they were able to serve that meat as dinner that night and so that's why he was trying to get everything smoking by midnight and trying to get everything done by three so that they could serve dinner that night. So Hope the Mission is a shelter that then um, served all of this meat to the guests. He came out. He took pictures Aww. with the people. And he didn't want any glory or anything. He just wanted to do it. So like he didn't tell that's people cool. he was going to be there. He just like, I mean, he probably told the Hope the Mission people. but I would he... hope so. But <laughs> if Dave Grohl showed up at my house with a bunch of meat, I'd probably let yeah, him he in. He doesn't need to give me. I don't even eat meat. I'm a vegetarian, but you can come to my house with a right? bunch of meat. Yeah. So basically, um, and everyone said it was like the best barbecue they ever had. He just wanted to show up. He wanted to cook for people. He wanted to share his love. And he ended up donating a ton of food to Hope the Mission in California and providing food That's for awesome. a bunch of people. Just because so. I'm an asshole, if he showed up at my house, I'd probably be like, uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'd just make him sing for his supper. That's really cool. That's I a let cool him story. in with all of his meat, and even though I don't like meat, Dave Grohl, you can bring your Matt. meat to my house. Gross. Grohl we'll, has we'll the meat. We could always find someone to donate it to. Gross. And I was, I'm ignoring that innuendo. I was, I'm fully aware of it, yes, and I'm ignoring uh, it. I was trying to do the same and very tactfully say what I wanted to say about Dave Grohl bringing his meat to my house. <laughs> And then well, Salem thank just you went for sharing there. that story That's about really cool. Dave Grohl and his meat. I think the world needed to hear it. And <laughs> yep. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, 
I think that he probably has had his friends tell him this joke a few times. (laughs) Yeah, but those are friends. It's different when it's random people on the the new radio. New radio. New new radio. (laughs) Whatever. No, that was a really. I'm sorry. That was a really good story. I loved it, Kelkel. Why did? What is wrong? I'm broken today. I don't know what is wrong with you. You just called me Kelkel. That feels weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I said, "What's wrong with me?" Nah, that was really sweet. I wish that more people in the the starlight. I wish that more celebrities would also bring the meats. Yes, thank you. I wish that more. No, I Show wish that more people that had a voice, like actually right. carried a voice, would do shit like this. So that's yeah, pretty cool. I think it's pretty neat. Very cool. Good now job, all Dave. I can think of is the Arby's commercial. Good, do- good job. We have the Dave Bashimi. <laughs> Dave Bashimi. Good job to bum, all the Jays. <laughs> it's time to sign off. Yeah, bum, I think we're done. Hold on. Let's bum. see. Let's see. There it is. <laughs> Water. This is playing the bowls. So we're signing off now. Thank you for joining us on this lovely podcast. <laughs> I love how you're getting a little bit of a percussion effect because the one bowl's up against your mic stand. That is too loud. It's too much. Really? I can barely hear it. It's too loud. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 I thought you took off your headphones because it was too loud.